This morning we get to start a, a new series. The series title is The Art of Neighboring. And it's built off of a couple premises. One being that the Lord wants to use all of our circumstances and all of our relationships to grow our faith and to actually take our faith and make disciples uh, of others. And the other premise is, is just that people that die without following Jesus are sentenced to uh, eternity apart from Jesus. And we believe that it's a real thing, a place of torment. Um, and so because of those things, uh, we want to consider what God's part for us to play here in Douglas County looks like. And we're going to do that in a few ways uh, over the next six weeks. One way is we're going to become more familiar with needs that exist in our community. And we're going to do that by having some guests participate in the service who are inserted in strategic places throughout our county that are well positioned to bring their vantage point on our community uh, into our peripheral. Uh, the second thing that we're going to do is we're going to see some good work that's happening. Because if you read the news, you just think that everything everywhere is spiraling downward and out of control and nothing good ever happens and God has fallen asleep and uh, has been inactive for the last 200 years. We're also going to look at some scripture that will hopefully push on our comfort zones a little bit. Scripture that will push and expose areas where we've chosen our comfort, our security, and even our agendas, our self-serving agendas over his purposes. And then last, we're going to try to develop together this pattern of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, examine me. Show me where you would lead me. Help my posture to be that of, uh, of responsiveness, uh, of looking for the opportunities that you have for me. Sometimes uh, if you've done a job search recently, you're aware that there's a lot of tools at your disposal to find a job. And so you get online and you beat the door down of every company that looks interesting, every job post that looks somewhat attractive. If you've got friends in the industry, friends in that particular company, you knock on their doors and you call and you text and you bombard them. And if you haven't seen them for 10 years, you become best friends instantly because you want to, by any means necessary, find that avenue. And so that works often uh, for job hunting, but sometimes uh, we set all of our intuition, all of our wisdom, all of our intentionality aside when we're seeking direction from the Lord, and we sit on the couch and say, Lord, I am ready. I'm even comfortable. Just tell me when to get up off the couch. And it doesn't work in job hunting. It doesn't work in most aspects of life, so why would we think it works following the Lord? So this morning we're going to start with Winchester Elementary. Many of you are familiar with that school. Many of you have actually been at that school in some way, shape, or form helping out, volunteering, caring for kids, caring for families. There's layer upon layer upon layer of things that have happened over the last few years uh, between Roseburg Alliance Church and Winchester Elementary. This morning we have the new principal of Winchester Elementary with us. He was actually hiding back here playing, playing guitar uh, this morning, uh, I'd like to invite Rick uh, Snyder to join me on stage, please. You can clap for him. It would make it a lot more comfortable as he wakes up. So I'm just going to ask Rick a few questions and, you know, really nothing formal. The goal is that uh, by Rick being here, we get a clearer picture of what's happening there. A clearer picture of the need, and maybe some of us will be prompted to respond to what we hear uh, and express interest in being involved at Winchester, but even bigger than that would be that we would have our hearts stirred for need in our community and become more open 
to how the Lord is, has been, and will be directing us. And so as we go down this road for the next six weeks, I want to warn you, we can't talk about being pushed outside of our comfort zone and not expect that some of you are going to get really big phone calls in the next six weeks. Some of you are going to have live change in dramatic ways in the next six weeks. Uh, Some of you are going to have the exact things that we're going to talk about happen. And you're going to say, Nathan, how do you know? And I'm going to say, I didn't, but that's what God does, and that's why I'll never preach Job. Um, (laughs) We will get to Job one day, but over my dead body. Uh, Maybe. So anyway, we want to invite the Lord to examine. We want to become more familiar with the needs in our community. Uh, Rick is here. So Rick, would you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you ended up at, at Winchester? I uh, was born and raised here in this town and grew up in Newton Creek, those of you that know where that is, and I went to Winchester Elementary School back in the 60s. When I was a senior at Roseburg High School, I don't know why, but the Lord just did this incredible work in my heart. I had been a Christian since I was about 11 and was baptized at uh, Little River Christian Camp in Little River, if you know where that is, real cold water, and took the plunge, committed my life to the Lord, but it was somewhat dormant. And so my senior year, uh, the Lord just did this great work in my heart, and I'm so grateful that he stirred up these feelings in me. So I went um, to Pacific University after high school. And after about two years, I was felt very restless in my soul. I was playing football there, and um, we were having really good success. It was a good team. We had a great run. Things were going well. Um, But I just felt this incredible calling. And so I had a roommate who was from Alaska, and he said, you know what? I'm not coming back to Pacific next year. I'm going to go to Bible school. Do you want to come? It's a great career move. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that just sort of got it you know, in my heart and mind, and I eventually said, yeah, let's do this. I want to I wanna know the Lord even more than I do. I don't have a really good foundation. So I moved to Alaska. Went to Bible school for two years, and uh, it was a two-year program where it was a minister, stereo training kind of program. Learned to marry people and bury people and run small groups and, you know, lead worship and great training and emphasis in New Testament doctrine. At the end of these two years... I asked the Lord, um, what do you want me to do next? Because my classmates that I graduated with, many of them were being sent out to go and pastor churches or to go to be support or maybe be a music minister. And I actually went away for a couple of days, and I shared this story with Nathan and prayed about it. And the word came back to me pretty clearly, I want you to go back to college and finish your teaching credential. And part of me was a little surprised and maybe just a touch disappointed because, again, here are my classmates. They're going out and doing these great exploits for God. And, of course, this Bible school was at a big, huge church in Anchorage uh, where there were lots of men on staff, right? And you just looked at them and said, man, one day if I could just be on staff at a church like that, I could be the associate pastor and maybe work my way up or So all these ideas that kind of went through our head. And so to get this answer back, hey, go back to school and finish your teaching credential, I thought, I don't quite understand that, Lord, but okay. So I did. I graduated from the University of Alaska at Anchorage, 
Uh, they predicted that no one from our graduating class was going to get a job in Alaska because it was a huge recession, 1986, 84, 80, somewhere in there, 86, I guess. And so I moved my family back to Oregon uh, and went to work in the woods. I logged for two years. I was set in chokers. I chased for a while. As a rigging slinger for a while, we had a high lead operation going. Um, back when, you know, there was still logging. Remember those days? Anybody remember those days? And we used to, used to log the forest before they burned down. Now, now I'm getting political. <laughs> take, can you take that part out of the message? And the Lord did this great work in my heart during this time just to solidify this. You're on the right path, but you're still in the Moses school of 40 years on the back, <laughs> back of the Sinai Desert getting training, <laughs> learning what it's like to really work among men who work hard and, you know, and it gave me a great sense of Oregon and, and what it was like. So moved to California, started my teaching career, uh, eventually came back here. But the, the thing I want to share with you, the, the most critical thing on all of us that I learned is each of us has our own unique calling. There's only going to be a couple of guys who are on staff, okay? Just a couple guys. They're lucky. The rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us, our mission field is out there, isn't it? Where, where God has placed us in the jobs where you have and the influence you have. And that's our mission field. And that, it took me years to really come to grips with that, that that's what the Lord wanted. And my journey back to Winchester School where my career all started, um, to come full circle. I feel like my whole life I've been prepared to do this job at this moment in time. So I pledge to give it five of the best years of my life, and then I'll be old enough to retire. Uh, and so I'm so grateful for the partnership that Alliance Church has with Winchester. I mean, I just walked into this deal. Maybe some people prayed and maybe prayed me in, but um, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Um. It was so cool to talk with Rick uh, over coffee, because um, coffee's good, and, and Rick is too. Um, but it was so neat to hear about his transition uh, from Bible school to teaching and to education, uh, because the thing that people who work in churches complain about is we feel like there's 10 layers of insulation here, and we don't get to get out uh, and so just the incredible mission field that Rick has that none of us do, you know, it's extraordinary, uh, incredible. Rick, tell us a little bit about the need that you see at Winchester Elementary. I want to begin by saying I'm so grateful for the people who are here who are part of Winchester Elementary and, and how it's also their mission field. So as you can guess, we're not shouting the name of Jesus every day. In fact, I I don't think I've said those I've you know, those religious terms, we avoid them because it's public school and people, everyone sends their kids there. But the spiritual truth that we have and loving on people and just getting to know people and building relationships and being there with them when things don't go well, that's the key. And that's really the key to life, isn't it? Is getting to know people, being part of their life, sharing with them. So it's the same thing at Winchester Elementary. So the needs are... Kids who come from a home where there's maybe just one parent and maybe not they're li not living with the parent who originally brought them into this world. 
perhaps live in a place that you would be uncomfortable living in. I'm talking about people who come from generational poverty. And that was maybe one of the biggest ahas that came to Winchester is, man, my old neighborhood and places like that, people are, are not, they're not wealthy. So I'm going to go home to an air-conditioned house after this. But imagine kids this summer who aren't living in an air-conditioned house that's run down and maybe don't have food to eat. So there's also those basic needs. But in terms of getting involved at Winchester Elementary, we have some really great programs. Specifically, we're starting up um, our reading program, Start Making a Reader Today. Um, and the name escapes me. Smart, start making, of course, that's the acronym, isn't it? Start making a reader today. Smart, smart. <laughs> so we're going to fire smart reading up because it's a great way for people to come in and get to know a kid and build a relationship. So that's one tremendous need. Uh, also, we're having a really cool back-to-school barbecue on Thursday night, August 30th. If you are so inclined, come and help set up and perhaps serve food. Um, we're buying it from Tidal Funds, your tax dollars hard at work. The idea is we're making memories with kids. We're making an experience for them where they can feel comfortable, where they feel loved, and they'll do better in school, and they will become better citizens in this land, right? Do you see how we, we ramp this thing up? Making connections with kids, loving on kids, is we may be the most stable force in their life. There may not be anyone at home that we would say, oh, there's a really great role model. Hope that kid turns out like that parent. That may not be in existence. So some of you can fill that role. So I, I would ask you to prayerfully consider becoming involved uh, in smart reading and then the volunteer opportunities that we're that are going to come up, the first of which is what I mentioned, um, August 30th. Uh, great way to come in. And again, it's going to be about building a relationship so that one day they'll emulate you in the role model that you are. Great, thank you. We're, uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna continue with our service. Uh, we'll uh, have a song of worship at, at the end, uh, and when the offering bag comes by, if you have any interest in Winchester Elementary, being a part of a prayer team that supports it, being someone who gets called and gets a little bit more information, or if you're said, "I'm smart, I want to do the smart thing, let's go," uh, just check that box, put it in the offering. We'll get those afterwards, and then we'll follow up with you. Uh, this week, but I hope that as you get to know Rick, and he'll be out in the lobby afterwards, you can see that the Lord is doing good things at Winchester Elementary, right? I think we can see that he's active and involved in placing people in strategic spots of influence to care for kids, as he said, whereby the school may be the most stable force present in their lives, uh, yeah. parents, extended family, etc., so uh, let's pray for Rick, and then actually at the end of the service, we'll invite everybody on stage who's ever been to Winchester Elementary, participated in, in any way, shape, or form, and we'll commission them uh, to close our service. So let's pray for Rick now. Thank you. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that we get to see your hand at work, that you put us in different places, Lord, strategic spots. No two mission fields are the same, and no two of us are the same, Lord. And so thank you for Rick, his faithfulness, his obedience, his gifting. We pray, Lord, that you would open opportunities daily for him to exceed, Lord, that the things that he implements would go well, that they would exceed expectations, Lord, that his favor with staff and with parents and with kids would just be off the charts and with the district, that it would be off the charts, not just so that Rick gets a pat on the back, but, Lord, so that the opportunity to take the gospel in becomes 
greater and greater and greater and greater as it becomes very clear that Rick's efforts are blessed by you. And so, Lord, we want to see that in Winchester. We're thankful for this partnership. We're thankful that rather than being kicked out of the school, we've been invited into the school. Lord, may we drive through the clear path that you have opened for us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Rick. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10, we're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And before we get into that, I just want to consider for a second that Paul in Romans 7 is very clear that there's a fragility about our faith. He talks about not even being able to understand his own heart, doing the things he doesn't want to do, and not doing the things that he so desperately wants to do to please God. And so it's kind of a sobering message to us, especially those of us that like to have control and to believe that we've got everything buttoned down and that's kind of a strain or a plague that exists in Christian circles. Uh, But we see in Paul this fragility of daily moving too closer towards the Lord, further away from Him as we respond and yield to the Spirit uh, with obedience. And then we see in the Old Testament with Cain and Abel the way that the devil is described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we're reminded that our enemy has incredible influence in this world and even in our lives, right? Even in our lives, incredible influence in this world. So we've got this fragile faith. Even Paul, the hero of heroes, expresses it so clearly and vividly. We're reminded that the enemy is powerful and those things should make us introspective should cause us to want to root out every weed in our spiritual garden believing that weeds become bigger not smaller and weeds kill fruit weeds kill vegetables weeds kill what we're trying to grow that is healthy and that is and that is good and so we want to root out every weed in our spiritual garden when we realize that there is this frailty to our faith and that we are under attack daily as we go down that road, we become acutely aware of blind spots. So if you've ever merged onto the freeway and almost been crushed by a semi, which is me, uh, not the semi, the one almost being crushed by the semi, and you look back and you think, how could I have possibly missed seeing that semi, especially the ones that are towing another semi, you realize that even though you looked, even though you might have looked five times, you have blind spots and, and you missed it. You have tools to help you see it, and you still missed it. Uh, Objects uh, in our blind spots don't have to be huge to be dangerous, and they don't have to be huge uh, for us to miss them. If you've ever almost clipped a motorcycle that's flying by you, you realize even small objects in your blind spot can be fatal. Even small objects in your blind spots can be very hard to see uh, and to respond to. The more discerning we get to our hearts, the more discerning that we get to our blind spots, uh, the more we recognize that our upbringing, our temperament, our personality, the people that we've looked up to, the way that we read scripture produces in us some strengths and some weaknesses, produces in us some areas where we are very focused, diligently applying ourselves with the hope of bringing glory to God and to being used by him, but that it also creates blind spots in us. Where our personality, where our temperament, where our upbringing, where the way we read scripture, 
can lead us to miss some things, some critical things, some small objects like motorcycles and some big things like semi-trucks. And so as we get into this passage, I, I want us to come to it honestly, aware that we all have blind spots, that if we have a pulse, we have blind spots. And we're just going to answer the question, how does a person who loves God treat people? How does a person who loves God treat people? And the application for this morning is not, if you love God, sign up for Winchester. You know, please don't hear that over the course of the next six weeks. Otherwise, you'll get through six weeks and you'll be committed to six different things and you won't be able to give good energy to any of them, nor to what the Lord may be actually leading you to in your family, in your home, in your workplace, or in your sphere of influence. And remember, we just want to come back to this idea of examine, that we would increasingly have a posture open to what the Lord would be leading us towards, increasingly less focused on our comfort, on our security, on the way that we've always done things, on our self-driven agendas. Let's go to Luke 10, 25 through 37. We'll read that text together. We'll take a look at this lawyer, uh, this lawyer who's trying to justify his own life, justify his own sin, trying to rationalize doing things the way that he's always done them. And then we're going to see this Samaritan man who shows us what it means to live neighborly and love generously. From Luke 10, let's start in verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. The lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. He says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, says to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was up and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Religious leaders came at Jesus often to belittle him, to trap him, to discredit him. Uh, they are big business. He is the upstart. They are the learned, the educated, with notorious affiliations, with great pedigree, Jesus is the small business owner. Jesus is the uneducated person. The lawyer has the Harvard Law degree. Jesus didn't get out of elementary school. The lawyer is big business, is Starbucks. Uh, the, Jesus is the uh, owner of a mom-and-pop coffee shop. And often these leaders tried to, to crush Jesus and belittle him and make him feel small and inferior. And so the whole conversation has this posture of, I'm better than you, and trying to push Jesus down, take some of the interest that was directed towards Jesus by the crowds and seize it uh, for themselves. 
So they have this conversation. The lawyer asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you're a lawyer. What's your law say? The lawyer is forced to answer his own question, not really a great uh, indicator that he's winning or that he's still on the offensive. And so defensively then he says, well, who's my neighbor? Implying, I love God, check. Who's my neighbor? Because I do that well too. Jesus says, that's a great question. Probably looks around at the audience. Don't you all think that's a good question? Audience, can we give this man a hand? Isn't that a good question? Because there's no stupid questions. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Tells him about a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho who's beaten and robbed and left half dead and two religious people who walk by and pay no attention, who feel no compassion, who respond with no action. And then he mentions the Samaritan. And you imagine at this point in the story, the crowds are booing when they hear Jesus mention Samaritan. You imagine the crowds are thinking, oh, what's this guy going to do? Because the Samaritans are the butt of every joke, right? They're subhuman to the Jews. And Jesus says, the Samaritan man had compassion took care of him and he bandaged up his wounds and he took and he got the care that he needed. And so we see in the posture of this lawyer the desire to justify and to rationalize his own behavior. Sometimes we know the commands of Jesus, but in our hearts, the sin that is there just crushes our aspiration for holiness, our aspirations to be obedient causing Jesus' commands to be just beyond us or wholly undesirable. The lawyer knows what is asked of him, but is trying to weasel his way out of it. It's kind of like a kid going to the parent and saying, I know you said to get along, but he hit me first. Like a student to a teacher. I know you told me to be quiet, but she talked to me first, right? Like us with God. I know you say to bear with one another's burdens, but this person has hurt me so many times. I know you say to outdo one another with honor, but this person has never shown honor to me. We're always looking for ways to justify the obstinance in our hearts towards God that makes following his words just beyond us or altogether undesirable. Jesus tells him this story And this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, turns into Jesus saying, go and do likewise. And we see that Jesus does not answer his question. Jesus does not define who should be helped. Jesus defines the posture of someone who loves their neighbor. The lawyer is trying to justify himself. Uh, He's interested in saving and preserving his selfish living. This self-serving desire has plagued uh, people throughout the Bible, and it plagues us today. Some of you recall Matthew, uh, the Matthew text in, in verse chapter 18, where Peter comes to Jesus, and Peter says, uh, "Lord, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother?" Right? And, and Peter's probably thinking, "What a great question! How many times, Lord? Like, I don't want to sell myself short. I don't want to miss your standards. How many times? Because I'm going to do that. I'm going to hit that number." And then pat myself on the back for it. Uh, 
in Matthew chapter 18. As Peter came up to him and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Peter probably was thinking two or three is fair. I'll go seven. That will make me look good. Jesus says to him, I I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And not that now Peter has to count to 77 and keep a record of 77 offenses. The idea being that, no, you don't stop forgiving. That doesn't make any sense. And you can see Jesus looking at Peter and saying, look, if I stopped forgiving, you wouldn't be here, buddy. If I didn't stop forgiving, none of us would be here. And, And so we see that with Peter. We see it elsewhere uh, in the text, but I think we probably see it in our own lives. I might ask the Lord, all right, how much do I have to give, Lord, to your work? Can you just give me a number? and I'll figure out how to get there one day. Uh, rather than being thoughtful of the whole of Scripture, uh, the passages in the New Testament that says God loves a cheerful giver. Think about people that are difficult in your life. Haven't we gone to the Lord and said, how much more do I need to love this person before I can put them in their place? How much more do I need to love this person before I can just cut them out forever? How much more do I need to love this person before I can let them have it? Remember, if we have a pulse, we have a blind spot. If we have a pulse, we have a blind spot. So I don't want to judge this lawyer as immoral, uh, delusional, Uh, unsaved, uh, evil. Uh, I want us to try to see in ourselves aspects that we see in this lawyer. If my heart is really, Lord, examine me. I want to see where I'm like this lawyer because I want to root out those spiritual weeds. Do we do this? Find ways to rationalize not being responsive to the Lord's uh, direction. I just think about our home and being a spiritual leader and I have shortcomings thought that goes through my mind is, well, I'm better than this person. I'm better than he is. You know, give me, cut me some slack. You know, like, where do you see that in scripture? <laughs> you know, as long as you can be better than your best friend, you're in good shape. You don't read that anywhere. I can't find it. I, you can look, but it's not there. I might try to minimize uh, the significance of my sin by trying to keep it under wraps, by trying to hide it. And so if you don't see it, it's not there. And if it's not there, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to be humble and confess it. I don't have to admit that I'm deviating from the Lord. I don't have to uh, humble myself. I think that there's aspects of all of us in this lawyer. I think there's aspects of this lawyer in all of us. Psalms 139 is just a fantastic passage that we probably should read every single week. Um, But contrast David with this lawyer. The lawyer tries to test God David says, God, test my heart. Verse 23 and 24 of Psalms 139 say this. Uh, This is just right after David has basically said, God, you know everything about me. You know it all. I can't hide anything from you. And then proceeds through the chapter to talk about uh, that he loves the Lord and he hates sin, just like God hates sin. But then he finishes this interaction with the Lord. Verse 23 and 24, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Embedded in there is the humility that says, I have blind spots that I can't see. I have blind spots that I don't know about. I'm hurting people, and I'm not even aware that I'm doing it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Not just what happens, not just what comes out of my mouth. Try me and know my thoughts. Lord, you know what's going on in here that I'm able to mask and that I'm not able to mask so well. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I don't want those weeds to exist in my spiritual garden. I don't want them to go unnoticed and grow and become bigger and choke out more fruit, choke out more of what you're doing. Show me what's there and then lead me in the way of everlasting. If a lawyer tries to defend himself, defend not taking action, defend doing things his way, David says, Lord, test my heart. That would be the posture that I would pray uh, would be on my heart. That would be the posture that I would pray would reflect and define uh, the way that we go to the Lord. Uh, it is uh, staying the same and becoming holy are incompatible. Staying the same and becoming holy are incompatible. Right? We don't grow without seeing our shortcomings and dealing with them. We're trying to grow some uh, vegetables in our actual uh, garden, and they're doing terrible. Uh, we just planted in the soil that was already there. And so next year, we've got to put new soil in. Uh, you can't just keep doing the same thing and expect it's just going to get better next year. We can't expect that all of our tomato plants who have been terrible this year and completely worthless, next year will be great doing something different, right? We have to get in there and we have to fix what is wrong. We have to get in there and we have to cultivate a healthy environment for fruit to grow. Um, the problem is, is most of us want to stay the same. Most of us want to be really comfortable. Most of us like the rhythm uh, that we're in. And staying the same and becoming more holy are not uh, compatible. Uh, the next thing we see is this, this Samaritan. And two ideas here. Uh, one, he loves generously. And two, he lives neighborly. Um, this is really a master's degree course right here on the art of neighboring. Right? This is a master's degree course on the art of neighboring. Let's talk about how he loves generously first. The first way uh, is we see that he loves generously, and loving generously means loving those who have profoundly wronged you. He is a Samaritan, profoundly wronged by the Jews, profoundly uh, demeaned, belittled, spoke poorly of, they're the butt of jokes, uh, ignored, they're seen as subhuman. And this Samaritan, who you might have expected to go over and kick the body, it's assumed that this would be a Jew traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, you might expect him to go over and kick the body or see if there's anything else left that can be scavenged. Maybe they missed a credit card in his front pocket or something. You might expect that from him, but he gets over the fact that he's supposed to hate this person. He gets over the fact that this person and this person's people have done and said and been incredibly hurtful to him and his kind. And you might even imagine if you're putting yourself in the shoes in the story that if you're that Samaritan man and you see that Jew over on the side of the road bleeding and maybe just barely hanging on for dear life, your first response might not be compassion. It might be serves him right. It might be finally. That's what he deserves. And you might even go back to moments in your mind where a Jew belittled you, spoke poorly to you, said they wouldn't come anywhere near you, said get away. Uh, you might go back to those moments and instead... He has compassion for a person, for a people group that has profoundly hurt him. Loving generously means loving those who have pro possibly profoundly wronged you or those who may be seen as even an antagonist to faith, an antagonist of God, an antagonist to your family, an antagonist to your lifestyle. Some of you are familiar with Matthew 23 where Jesus prays for the city of Jerusalem. Remember that text? 
the week that he's going to die, the people are preparing to crucify him. The religious leaders are plotting his death. Jesus, fully aware of all these things, in Matthew 23, prays this. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Verse 37 and 38. The city that kills the prophets and the stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Jesus, with death on the imminent horizon, hours, days away, is not fixated on the wrong against him. He's fixated on the devastating reality that these people are going to die in defiance of God and be sentenced to eternity without him. And that bothers Jesus a whole lot more than what they've done to him. That bothers Jesus a whole lot more than what they have done to him. The logo of our series has a bridge on it. And when you see a bridge, I hope, Uh, you're reminded that we're going to be called to be bridge makers, to build bridges into people's lives. Uh, When you hear bridges, I would just say, think creative ways to show God's love so that we can show and share it, so that we can show and share it. Uh, In addition, uh, loving generously means doing more than what's asked or expected. Uh, The guy, the Samaritan guy gets off his animal puts the other, the beaten man on his animal, all his stuff. The guy probably has to unpack his animal because he's toting a whole bunch of things. Uh, Puts the ointment on, the wine on, takes him to the inn, uh, gives generously to meet his needs, and gives generously towards the future. You might even say it's a bit reckless. He opens a tab at the end with no clear sense of how much this is going to cost. Imagine going to the hospital in town and say, take care of this man, and whatever the bill is, send it to me. I don't have insurance, just... Send me the bill, the actual bill, the big, the big number. And if he has to stay longer, like an extra month, I'll be back and I'll take care of that too. Right? He's way beyond what is asked uh, or expected. It's fascinating here as we think about loving generously that uh, religious people pass by. They don't express any compassion. And so... By pitting the religious people against the Samaritan, there is the sense that the religious leader's religion actually kept them from following Jesus, actually kept them from loving God, actually kept them from loving people. And so a question for a church to consider, a question for a group of people that would self-identify as Christians to consider is, is it possible that in our lives following Jesus, is it possible that in our lives, in our quote-unquote religion, that in some way that actually keeps us from getting our hands dirty, from getting our hands bloody, from entering into difficulty with difficult people, from entering into the mud of a muddy mess that someone has made for themselves? Is it possible that in our effort to be religious, it actually keeps us uh, from getting our hands dirty? Because if that's the case, we have more in common with the Levite and the priest than we might care to admit. I might ask you if there's a group of people that you would want nothing to do with? Is there a group of people that you look down on? Are there certain sins that are more detestable to you than others? Because often, we'll find ourselves pointing the finger. And if we're pointing the finger and not offering two hands for help, like the Samaritan man, there's a good chance we're more like the priest and the Levite uh, than we realize. Finally, this idea of living neighborly. 
living neighborly is interesting. We want to know who our neighbors is. We'd like to draw lines too. That makes it a whole lot easier uh, for life. Uh, I love that this man who was beaten is on this road to Jericho. It's a 17 17 mile journey. Descends like 3,000 plus feet. It's rocky. It's crevices. It's a place well known for bandits and thieves to be. Uh, It's a dangerous place. To go on that road is to know you're going down a dangerous path. And for the man beaten to maybe be on that path by himself would be somewhat of an act of negligence. And and maybe even like walking through the streets of downtown uh, Los Angeles with $100 bills sticking out of your pocket, right? And then thinking nothing's going to happen. And so we might say, if you do that, you kind of deserve what's coming to you. And if you do that, I don't know how to help you. Because that's dumb. Uh, and, and how do you help a person that it, it walks down the street with a bunch of, of people and money hanging out of their pocket and doesn't see a problem with that? It doesn't anticipate uh, at least some challenges. Rather than point the finger at this man who was beaten, the Samaritan man has compassion and he goes and helps him, even if the man contributed to his own mess. Interesting is the man may or may not have contributed on his own mess. Certainly other people have traveled this road before and have not been beaten. It's got to have been done once or twice. But he now finds himself with no one to advocate for him. He now finds himself with no means to take care of himself, no means to get himself to where he can get help or even get future help. Whatever he has has now been taken from him. And so a question that I would say Uh, would be worth us considering is who in culture, who in our society, who in your sphere of influence, who at your place of work has nobody to advocate for them? Who in our society, who in your place of work, who in your friend group, who in your sphere of influence doesn't have the resources they need to get the help that they so desperately need? Those might be places we could explore to discern where and how God is leading and directing and pointing us. As we wrap up, uh, the lawyer responds with, to Jesus' first question, um, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yes, do this and you will live. And so I just want us to see that the sequence is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're not a person who has first loved the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. There's a sequence there because loving God becomes motivation, uh, becomes the source of power, uh, makes it desirable to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, You might say that loving your neighbor as yourself is the defining element of a person who truly loves God with all their heart and their soul and their strength. mentioned blind spots at the beginning Uh, it's cool now because cars have sensors and cameras everywhere right and so if you get into a new car uh, and you get close to hitting another car there's going to be a beep somewhere and it's going to tell you that you're close to a car and if it doesn't beep it's going to be on a camera screen in the front and it's going to say there's a car right there and and some cars even you can see from the top down so you can see everything around you the trees the plants the cars it's incredible but we've got all these fantastic tools to show us our blind spots can you imagine deactivating disengaging all of those tools because the noise was a little bothersome you didn't like the sound of the beeping 
Can you imagine turning off all those helpful tools because it was in some way uh, annoying to you? And, and that's kind of what life is like. When we try to walk this journey of faith and we don't just keep coming back to the Word of God, going before Him and saying, examine, 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 examine. Show me, show me, show me, show me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. Some of you have been in a car and you've almost been in an accident, but you've been in the passenger seat. And you could see the car coming that, was, that you were going to collide with, even though the driver couldn't. And you were able to say, hey, well, watch out, there's a car coming. And you think, come on, driver, what's wrong with you? Trying to kill me? Um, but because of your vantage point being over in the passenger seat, you were able to see something that the driver couldn't see. So I think there's some parallels there and part of why faith is designed to flourish in community where we want to invite people to sit in the passenger seat. We want to invite people to weigh in and tell us, do you see blind spots in my life? Because by virtue of sitting in the passenger seat, that person is well equipped to see a blind spot that you in the driver's seat might not be able to see. And we desperately want to know what is in our blind spots. Most uh, driving instructors will tell you you need to look in your mirrors every five seconds. Every five seconds, rear view, left, right. The whole, the whole works, right? Every five seconds. If we're supposed to look in our drivers, in our mirrors, every five seconds to see blind spots because our short-term memory is bad, because things change quickly, how much more do we want to be in God's Word? How much more do we want to go before him on a regular basis saying, examine, examine, examine. Show me, show me, show me. Lead me, lead me, lead me. For the next five weeks, we're going to pause for a few minutes with a bunch of different passages. Uh, I hope each one pushes on us uh, in a different way. Because there's, there's, a, there's just a whole bunch of reasons, some good, some terrible, that we rationalize uh, not having compassion for the broken. We rationalize not taking action when we see uh, a need. There's a, just a lot of things that we tell ourselves, and it makes sense to us, and it allows us to go on about our day and not have our schedule interrupted. But I hope that each passage pushes us on, pushes on our comfort zones, pushes on our security, pushes on the areas of our life where we've prioritized our agenda over God's purposes so that as we go through this sort of six-week thing uh, together, the, one of the outcomes in our life is a more thoughtful posture that says, Lord, examine, 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 lead, lead, lead. Uh, show me where you would have me. Maybe it's Winchester Elementary. Maybe it's not Winchester Elementary. Maybe you're a school teacher at another school and you're saying, they got their thing, I got my thing, we're all going in the same direction. Maybe you don't work in a school, maybe you're retired. Uh, there's a spot for you. Part of it is where you're at now. Part of it is likely something that the Lord is going to bring into your life. Will you be open? Are you listening? Are you seeking? Are you searching? Are you sitting on the couch with your hands folded saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'll do something. Tell me. I'm going to watch ESPN while I'm waiting. Maybe a movie. See some popcorn. Uh, but I'm ready. Um, pray that by any means necessary, we would be uh, looking, searching, seeking. God, what do you have for me? Get me out there. I'm ready. Uh, we're going to close uh, this portion of time. I'm going to uh, just pray. Uh, ask God's blessing uh, as we receive his word. The worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. We'll take this morning's offering. It's an opportunity if you want to put that card in and indicate anything about Winchester or quite honestly any other area that you might have interest that this church could possibly partner with you in. Uh, and then afterwards we'll invite everyone from Winchester to come up on stage and we'll pray for this school year.
Let's pray. Lord, we ask you and we invite you to do your work. We invite your spirit to convict us of sin. We invite your spirit, Lord, to open our eyes to things that we can't see. Open our eyes to our blind spots. Open our eyes to the way that we're hurting people unknowingly. Open our eyes, Lord, to where we're not following your path and we think we are. Open our eyes, Lord, uh, to, like the lawyer, even the questions that we have, Lord, that show that our hearts are not positioned towards you, but are positioned towards our agenda and our comfort and our security and what's easy for us. Lord, we don't want what's easy. We want to be holy. We don't want to stay the same. We want to be holy. Lord, we want to see more power, not less. We want to see you change lives. Lord, make us holy. Make us useful in each other's journeys. Make us humble, Lord, to invite outside voices in, to speak into our life. Lord, it's not criticism. It's an opportunity to build a future that you have. Lord, every shortcoming, every failure, every setback is a brick, Lord, that builds us a pathway to your future, that prepares us for your future. Lord, may we value your purposes. May we value your presence over our comfort, over our security, Lord, over our agenda. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.